Welcome. This is Mike Wheeler on One Step Ahead with Kim Leary. And we're here today to talk about negotiating with emotion. Hi, Kim. Hi, Mike. One Step Ahead. That is an important idea for both negotiators and those who are practicing leadership. One Step Ahead, but not two or four, right? Well, I understand in your leadership um, mode that obviously you don't want to be so far ahead that the people whom you're trying to work with and collaborate can't even see where you are or where you're going. That's and right. in turn, you need to see what's happening with with them. So we went back and forth on uh, on the name here. But I think we've settled on something that uh, covers both agility in negotiation and adaptive leadership. Today, though, we're going to talk about emotion, and when I said negotiating with emotion, Kim, you and I, with Juliana Pillemer, had an article by that title in the Harvard Business Review, January, February 2013, if I recall correctly. And again, I'm working from memory here, but I think both of us were interested in what I named negotiophobia, people who, who get anxious about negotiation, and we were interested in seeing whether, one, that's true, two, how extensive it might be. But we used an unusual research method uh, on it. And you actually worked with the company a little bit, so I'm going to turn to you to explain it in short measure. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, Mike? If they're dealing with the same problem and you don't call it a negotiation or they don't think of it as a negotiation, for some people, the pressure is off and their creativity their agility and their capacity increases. So there's something about calling something, framing it a negotiation that for some people doesn't help them to perform more effectively. No, we'll talk about it. I've got a colleague here. Have you met Alison Woodbrooks yet or not? Yes, I have. Uh, She's She's spectacular, and she's done some work on the impact, negative, of anxiety. But we ought ought to look at where it... Why people feel anxious. I'm not sure about the what you name it part. I mean, there's not an elephant in the room. There's not an elephant in the room. (laughs) This is not negotiation, you know. Yes. Well, we interviewed, I think it was about 20 very experienced managers and organizational leaders, some of whom what they do every day is negotiate deals on behalf of their companies, policy across uh, business entities. These are people who are at the top of their game. They came to an executive ed program here at Harvard for the program on negotiation, really to burnish their skills, to enhance them. But these were people who were already quite excellent at what they did. That was the interesting part about it. I would, I don't have the number in my head, but I'd say median age around 40 or something of that sort. As I recall, we gave them a very general assignment. They said, we're going to interview you. Thank you very much. You're going to give up a morning or an afternoon. It's a four-hour process. And then we told them to bring something, Kim. Yes, we asked them to bring five to seven images, photos, clippings from a magazine, a printout from something they'd seen on the web, But the images had to conform to a very particular assignment. We asked them to identify pictures that conveyed their thoughts and feelings about negotiation. I did this in my MBA class regularly. And I remember the first time I did it, there was a guy who was from Paris, very debonair, and he comes down and 
puts on the dock cam a picture of a tropical island. And you're wondering, what does that have to do with negotiation? And he said, there's a lot about negotiation that's pleasant, but see that storm cloud over there? Well, it wasn't a storm cloud. It was a fair weather cloud. But it was interesting that somebody who presents as very self-assured could find a storm cloud in a very pleasant picture. When we interviewed people, it wasn't that quick. As I recall, the first half of it, um, generally we'd ask people to describe their pictures, and then in a Photoshop kind of way, they would put them together into a collage. And at some point, we heard from everybody some degree of anxiety, in certain instances, extreme anxiety. What, do you recall any pictures in that particularly? Well, let me move back first, just describe the process a bit more. So folks came in, the people we interviewed, with their five to seven images, and they really were quite, there was a lot of variety in the images that people brought in. The image that you described from your student of a scene that looks like a a tropical paradise, only your students saw the storm uh, approaching in the fair weather cloud. But we saw uh, images of crocodiles, we saw images of astronauts, images you might expect of people with a a tug of war and a rope. But then there were images that one couldn't quite explain, at least on the face of it, a smiling baby Mm. or a boat or a a car, you know, just images that, that didn't convey to us what the thought and feeling was about it. That's where the interviews come in. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you're the psychologist, the stuff of dreams, right? We, To my knowledge, I've never met anybody who dreams in Excel sheets <laughs> or text or whatever. We dream in pictures. We do. And the picture that we have of negotiation is a mixed picture. And in the course of interviewing people, we not only ultimately got the collages that they created, but we would have typically 20 pages, single-spaced, of their thoughts and feelings about negotiation. And then we did a word search in it, a word cloud, if you will, and found the common kinds of concerns that people had, and also the positives as, as well. But what it came down to is that people were anxious about negotiation for several reasons. And please add to the list, because I can't do this by heart. One is a lack of control, um, that there's somebody else's hands on the wheel. Where are we going to end up? Maybe this will work out, but maybe it it won't. A concern about whether they could trust the other party, whether the other party was going to be cooperative or a crocodile. And also concern about their own performance. Negotiation is something where we get poor feedback. You know, you go to the table, you come back empty-handed. Did you fail? Well, maybe there was no room for agreement. Uh, Maybe the other side was being unreasonable. Maybe you made a mistake, but there's that uncertainty in negotiation. So all of those foster anxiety in varying degrees, depending on the person. Yeah, varying degrees of anxiety. Some might experience it as being nervous. Others might be pumped up about the very unpredictability and uncertainty that you described. So there is a real range. But for many people, even those who are expert in their ability to negotiate and craft deals and solve problems collaboratively, 
agreed that it, or, or showed us that they feel some degree of anxiety because of the unpredictability, because they don't know what their partner wants from them, and because they need a partner in the first place in right. order to accomplish right. the work at hand. I mean, the whole point of negotiation is you're trying to get a cent from somebody else to do something you can't do on your own, right? Right. And if you've got a strong walk away, then if this doesn't work out, the sun will come out tomorrow. There are other instances where you've got to come to agreement and maybe you're not in a strong position. But it was interesting, as I recall, the people who kindly came in for the study, they were all grown-ups. They all presented well, and this is going on in their heads. So, so part of what I took from it isn't just holding the mirror up to yourself, but understanding that people that you're talking to may seem as if they're on top of things, but in fact, they're feeling anxiety, and so they're defensive. And if you say something that's ambiguous, they might read it in the negative way when you meant it in the positive way. That's right, that fair weather cloud that actually looks to your student like it's threatening a storm coming on the horizon. So I, I mentioned Alison Wood Brooks, who's an associate professor here at the Harvard Business School, a psychologist also. Yes. She's done two studies on anxiety. One is looking at its impact on negotiation. Psychologists, as long as they get consent from their subjects, can induce anxiety in kind of creepy ways. Um, I don't think that she was particularly malevolent or anything of that sort. But she found that people who were anxious when they negotiated, one, tended to make less bold offers, tended to accept other people's offers more quickly, tended to get worse deals, and tended to get out of the room faster than other people. And none of those are good things, and collectively it really means bad performance. So I don't know if you're aware of that kind of work or whether there's an analog to it in other kinds of realms of the cost of anxiety, but... Yeah. Well, you know, anxiety in its um, natural state, if you will, is about a signal. It's about a signal that there's some danger out there that you ought to take an mm -hmm. accounting of. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, anxiety works really well. If there's a saber-toothed tiger, you want to get the heck out. I'll tell you a story about that. My cousin Richie lived in the Lower East Side, this decades ago, when he was acting in New York. And there'd been, a, this is a tough neighborhood, there'd been a murder in his apartment building the prior week. Woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, smoke coming under the door, people yelling and screaming, and Rich said to himself, stay calm, but not too calm. It's exactly right. That's right. So, so it's that mix. Yeah. And so when you are facing a, a situation that normatively involves uncertainty, normatively means that you have a kind of dependence, if you will, on the other party. I don't mean that you are depending on the other party. When you're facing a situation that has some normative anxiety to it, when you're facing a situation in which you actually need to work out with someone else a solution, and where you're not sure how you're doing mm -hmm. in real time, yep. those are exactly the moments where people are apt to feel anxiety. And if you layer on top of that, that there are a whole host of other features of that situation that for me might signal anxiety and don't for you, then we're in a realm where it makes good sense to 
look at yourself in the mirror, know yourself pretty well, but also have some tools at the hand where you can anticipate what the other party at least might be feeling and thinking. I like your word anticipate, Kim. You know, we're, we're about, you know, being one step ahead and we're about agility and negotiation and being adaptive as a, um, as a leader. Um, in our HBR article, there's a six-step prep sheet for being emotionally prepared for negotiation. I'm sure there are other ways to do it, but, you know, when people prepare for negotiation, I hope they run the numbers. I hope they read the small print. I hope they learn as much as they can about the situation that they're entering and whom they're dealing with. Most people don't think about being emotionally prepared for negotiation. And that article, again, it was 2013, Negotiating with Emotion, which is the title of this episode, um, has these six steps. And for people who are listening, you know, if you've got a pencil nearby, you might just note these things down, and I'll run through them quickly. And I want you to comment, Kim, as we, as we go along. But question number one is, what do you want to feel going into negotiation and paired with that, why do you want to feel that? And when I do this in class, people start with, I want to feel calm. I want to feel confident. I want to feel relaxed. But then others pipe up, and this is sort of on your earlier point, but I want to be alert. I want to be wary and so forth. So, so on questions one and two, what emerges is you've got to manage multiple feelings and it's not being a little bit alert, you know, uh, um, a little bit calm. It's being both of those to the max at the same time, which requires a little bit of agility uh, emotionally. It does. And a willingness to adapt to a circumstance like a negotiation where the stakes are high and to be able to stand in place even when you're feeling that rush of anxiety because it also is a part of what keeps you focused. Yep, yes, yes. You're up for the game. Your mind is not wandering. You're in the moment, as they say. So the third question on the sixth question thing is this. If you've identified what you want to feel or the feelings you want to carry into negotiation, what can you do beforehand to get in that state? And some of my students will say, well, I want to be sure that I'm not rushing into the meeting. I want to be sure even if it's just a few moments I can do some meditation or breathing exercises. So we've been through the first three. What do I want to feel? Why do I want to feel it? How do I get there? The fourth in this little rubric, is uh, what can throw you off in the course of negotiation. And people, both MBA students and executives, say, well, if the other side is insulting, if they make an ultimatum, um, uh, if I suddenly feel that I'm not well enough prepared, what, you know, what then? And um, I'd be curious if you've got some things in mind of, of what you hear when people discuss that. Yeah, you know, again, depends on the person and their history. I have colleagues who are so sensitive to the facial expressions of people in meetings that if someone looks preoccupied, they're thrown off. Hmm. If someone looks like they're unhappy, they're busy trying to figure out what that's about. Other people just 
don't tune into those things. They're listening to the words, or maybe, perhaps more importantly, the actions of, of the folks that they're engaged with. But I think what's important is that, again, uh, if you see, if you have an image, and it could be a duck or a rabbit, <laughs> you know that facial expression that's throwing you off may be just that person's normal way of doing business. When they're busy thinking, they look preoccupied. Yeah, um, and it's one of those things, it's one thing to recognize some odd expression. It's another to be humble about interpreting what it might mean. I mean, ultimately, we're looking for patterns in that. So, so if you're thrown off base by facial expression or by an insult, um, some people say, see if you can take a break. Um, if you can't do that, then maybe you change the subject. If you've been going toe-to-toe -to -toe on a particular issue, step back and recap where you've gotten so far or how you're negotiating and so forth. It's important in its own right and some degree of control or agency and so forth. Then the question is, you know, you know, as I say, this is what can throw you off, and number five is how do you get back on your feet. Number six is what do you want to feel at the end? And I'm surprised, maybe I shouldn't be, about how many people say, I want to feel relieved. And to say that you want to feel relieved is to acknowledge the stress that people feel in negotiation loops me back to the beginning. That's why you want to be emotionally prepared for it, as best you can. The other dimension of the what can you do that I wanted to speak to is when you take a break, when you step back in your own mind, psychologists would say that you're separating off your participation from your capacity to observe. And in many, many instances, being able to be both a participant and an observer mm -hmm. in real time gives you important traction in negotiation and in leadership for that matter we've come up with a uh, a metaphor of going to the balcony i was about to say the <laughs> yes. same thing that's that's bill yuri's term from how to deal with hard bargainers Go and on. ronnie heifetz term from adaptive leadership i don't know who owes whom the royalty I'm not sure on that. either but the idea of going to the balcony which is i think just appeals to people because they they've been on balconies they can picture it it's no special skill when you go to the balcony, you're able to look across the dance floor or the playing field or what have you, and you're able to see that there are many plays in motion. There are many things that are going on. And when you're on the dance floor, you just see what's in your immediate circle. And you may be busy trying to make sure you're not dancing on someone else's feet. But when you are on the balcony, you can see that really the action may be going on two couples away. Yeah. And it'd be, it would be important to know about that. Well, it's one of those things, as I understand the metaphor, at least is how I adapted it, the challenge in negotiation, and it can be the fun of it too, is your center stage. Your center stage, you're deeply engaged, you're in the moment, somebody has just said something, you have a response that's emerging. But you also, at the same time, I don't think you're oscillating back and forth, have the perspectives of somebody who's seen this from afar and can situate that in how the play is going and so forth and where it's trending so that you are, pardon the expression, one step ahead. Um, that's, that's right. The real magic and the experience that people have when they're you know, in a state of flow is that they're able to go back and forth 
from being on the dance floor to the balcony. Because if you stay in any one place, you're really missing out on the ability to understand the full panoply of what's in play. If you're on the balcony, you can't make a real move. Yeah. You're just watching other yeah, people you're just make an moves. Observer. Right. So we've, we've covered emotion a bit today. I'm sure we'll come back to it in other contexts, Berkeley, and talking about cases that you and I have been involved in or have counseled people on. But we've covered a, a lot of ground. So this is our episode two of One Step Ahead, brought to you by Negotiation Dash 360, and we look forward to future episodes. Great that we're underway, Kim. Any last thoughts? It was a nice dance today, Mike. <laughs> <laughs>